Someone did some maths and said, look, it's actually worth my while to be on strike for eight years because of the amount of money that I would otherwise lose. It's normally the students who are rising up, but at the moment it's their lecturers, out on strike over a dispute about changes to their pension schemes. Universities up and down the country have been shutting down as lecturers have walked out, arguing that the changes could leave them up to £10,000 a year worse off in retirement. The universities say they're dealing with a big pension deficit, and if they don't make changes, they'll have to be cuts elsewhere, or even job losses. So, if you don't know the difference between your defined benefits and your defined contributions, getting your head around this can feel like doing an economics PhD before you've done your 101. But never fear, the Weekly Economics Podcast is here to help, as usual. This week, we're breaking down what the university strikes are all about, and what they tell us about what's happening to everyone else's pensions too. I'm Aisha Thomas-Smith. Stay with us. Okay, so we've got three fantastic women on the podcast this week uh, for International Women's Day. Lovely to have you, including two guests who are currently on strike themselves. Uh, First of all, welcome to Nadine Elenani, who is a lecturer in law at Birkbeck, the co-director of the Centre for Research and Race and Law. Hi, Nadine. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Uh, and next up, we've got Mira Sabaratnam, who is a lecturer at SOAS, the School of Oriental and African Studies, um, and chair of the University Senate. Hi, Mira. Hello. Hi. Um, and a big warm welcome back to podcast old favourite, Christine Berry. Christine used to work with us here at NEF um, and is now a freelance researcher and writer and a postgrad student at the University of Sheffield. Hi, Christine. Hello. It's good to be back. Lovely to have you. So we're jumping straight into our big question this week, which is why are university lecturers on strike? So as we record this on Thursday the 8th of March, university lecturers across the country have been on strike for most of this week, and next week will be their first full week of walkouts since action began at the end of February. Over a million students are set to lose out on lectures, seminars, and getting their essays and exams marked, with some demanding compensation for the hours of study they're missing. So first up, a question for Nadine and Mira, why are you striking? Well, we're on strike um, primarily because our pensions are under attack. Um, Essentially, what's happening is that we're being told rather than being guaranteed a pension on retirement, um, we will instead have to just see how well the pension fund is doing after it's um, been invested on the stock market. And depending on how well it's doing, um, we'll see what we get at the end. So we're not we're basically not going to be guaranteed a pension on retirement. So basically all of the risk is being placed on us rather than being absorbed collectively by the employers. I guess that's the short answer. Mm. Yeah, and quantitatively what that means for someone like me, um, I'm relatively early in my career. I'll probably work another 35 years at least in, you know, in academia, I hope. Um, after that, they're expecting me to retire on something like ten to eleven thousand pounds a year, which is less than a current student loan. So, having worked all your life in an academic job as a lecturer and so on, you're going to be basically asked to live in poverty as a pensioner. Mm. Um, and of course, we're not in it for the money, but we do expect to be able to not have to choose between food and heat when we retire. That sounds quite nice and reasonable. Yeah, would <laughs> be great. That'd be wonderful. Uh, so, Christine, just to just to follow up on that, so. What kind of pension do most people who who aren't lecturers or aren't in the public sector, what kind of pensions do they have? Because I, I think I'm, I'm definitely not alone um, as one of the people who doesn't really understand what the money that comes out of my pay slip and says pension every month goes towards or where that sits. 
Yeah, so it, it sort of depends on where you work. Most workers in certain public sector institutions, unless they have pensions that are just paid for out of taxation, um, people like lecturers or um, people in also uh, institutions that used to be nationalised, like the Royal Mail or British Coal, um, will tend to have uh, what's called defined benefit um, schemes, which is the one that we've just been talking about, uh, that the university scheme currently is, um, which pays out a guaranteed pension when you retire. So the mm -hmm. benefit that the pension pays out is fixed. Um, and most of those schemes are, uh, in fact, a lot of them now closed to new members. So um, depending on how old you are, even if you work in one of those institutions, you may not have that kind of pension. If you work in the private sector, it's much more likely that you will have what's called a defined contribution scheme, which is the kind of scheme that the universities want to turn um, their scheme into, which is where um, the contribution that you put in is fixed, but what it pays out, um, as we've heard, depends on how the investments perform. Um, and people might have heard of something called automatic enrollment, um, mm. where you'll have got a letter saying um, that unless you decide to opt out, um, you're going to be enrolled into one of these schemes by your employer. Um, and for the most part, if you've been uh, enrolled into a pension scheme under automatic enrollment, it will almost certainly be one of these defined contribution schemes. Um, in terms of who manages that, um, again, <laughs> it's a bit of a complicated pensions minefield, but um, the likelihood, again, is it may be managed by um, an insurance company. Um, so somebody like Aviva, um, essentially a kind of for-profit city firm um, that manages those funds um, on your behalf. There are some what are called trust-based schemes. Uh, so some people may be in NEST, um, which mm. is the National Employment Savings Trust, which was set up by the government as part of the automatic enrolment reforms, which is a not-for-profit scheme that's run by a board of trustees with a duty to um, look after their members, basically. So that's probably better if you're in that than if you're in one that's run by an insurance company. The other thing that is worth understanding about your pension is that whatever kind of pension you have, you know, whether it is defined benefit or defined contribution, whether it's managed by one of these trusts or managed by an insurance company, ultimately it will be managed by city fund managers investing your portfolio in financial assets you know, on the stock market or whatever. And I think there's a confusion sometimes there that people think it's only defined contribution pensions that are dependent on the stock market. The reality is that you know, fundamentally, at the end of the day, all of our pension schemes are to some extent dependent on the financial markets. The difference is who bears the risk if the financial markets don't deliver the returns that we were expecting. Um, so, you know, with traditional defined benefit, um, it's the employer who bears the risk. And with these uh, newer defined contribution schemes, it's you, the individual, who bears the risk. But in all cases, ultimately, it's these city fund managers that are managing your money, often managing them with very little oversight, often managing them in a way that basically involves kind of speculating on the price of, um, of financial assets rather than actually investing in kind of long-term productive things and usually extracting massive fees for the privilege, which are really eating into our pensions and which nobody is really doing a huge amount about. Um, so that's a whole other thing that I think is worth us being aware of when it comes to the politics of pensions. Thanks, Christine. So just to bring it back to the universities for a second, is there really a big difference between the pension that you have now um, and the pension that you would be moved on to? Some people have argued that they're both quite generous in comparison to private sector pensions, for example. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, before we get onto the question of comparison, I mean, there's a huge difference in terms of what we'd be moved on to in the sense that we wouldn't be guaranteed a pension. It would really depend how um, the investments are doing. As we've seen, pension funds do fail. We've seen that mm. recently with Carillion and others. Um, and that causes, obviously, um, absolutely phenomenal um, 
the terrible consequences for people who have worked their whole lives and are hoping to be able to retire, if not even in just relative comfort, but just not in poverty. Um, yeah, and there's a big difference. Um, they already, I mean, they already took away a significant chunk of our pension uh, three years ago when they did the periodic valuation. So I lost about a quarter of what I would have expected when I joined my job uh, then. And now I'm expecting to lose about 60% of it. So there is a huge, huge drop. As regards the question of whether they are better than uh, pensions in the private sector, I mean, certainly that's the case. But in part, that's a trade-off that you take when you accept a job in the public sector where your pay is heavily regulated and on a scale which is nationally determined, and you're doing something which is for you know the public as part of higher education, you expect to be looked after when you retire. And that's always been the way um, that we've dealt with people who work in health and education and, and for other parts of the public service. Um, so the idea that you can give your whole life to a public good and then just be sort of left hanging at the end of it is frankly feels like a massive betrayal. Yeah, just to add on that, I think it's worth pointing out that, yes, USS is more generous than, sorry, USS, the University Superannuation Scheme, which is the um, academics and university staff's pension. It is more generous than most private sector pensions. That's because private sector pensions are rubbish. So we shouldn't look at that and say, oh, pampered lecturers with their decent pensions that actually will allow them to retire in like some (laughs) some degree of dignity. Um, Like how dare they be striking to try and retain that because I don't have it. Like we should all be demanding a decent pension. We should all be angry about the fact that we don't have one and the fact that Universities UK are trying to turn the university's pension scheme into the kind of rubbish pension scheme that we all already have (laughs) isn't Mm. a reason why we shouldn't be supporting the strike. It's a reason why we should all be more angry about our pensions. Following on from that, uh, Universities UK have said that the current pension scheme has a deficit of £6 billion. Um, So how should that be dealt with if not through cuts to the pensions? First and foremost, I think it's really important to recognise that um, deficit for what it is, which is a fake pensions deficit. Um, I think that the way in which Universities UK and USS have gone into this has been in quite an arrogant, naive way, where they sort of did this calculation, put that deficit number out there, and then expected us academics who spend all our time kind of scrutinizing documents and critiquing them in depth to just sort of accept that. But that isn't what's happened. And actually, people have put a lot of time and effort into having a look at that calculation that led to that figure um, of nearly $7 billion, um, and actually um, seen that that is based on a ridiculous, very unrealistic calculation of, say, all universities going bust tomorrow, then would the pension scheme be able to support lecturers who would need to be then supported on the scheme? Um, and so that's really unre- unrealistic. The university sector is booming in most cases um, and it's yeah so I think that's the first thing to kind of say about that deficit. So the way in which we value pension funds at the moment um, has to meet a set of criteria which actually set out by the pensions regulator and one of the reasons why they want to be super cautious about the value of the fund is because you do get funds going bust and basically the government doesn't want to pick up the can for when pension funds go bust. Um, So they say, okay, well, we have to imagine these doomsday scenarios in which you're all living longer and your pay goes up loads and all the universities collapse. And under those conditions, can we pay your pensions? Then they say, okay, well, the pension fund has all of these liabilities, i.e. costs, um, but we're not, you know, there's not enough money in the pot. 
actually, if you look at their best estimate of what is going to happen, the thing that they think is most likely to happen um, is that the fund is in surplus. It's about £8 billion in surplus, um, all things being equal with our best probabilities. It's only under this doomsday scenario that the fund becomes unaffordable. And the other thing to say is we are in historically a very unusual period because of the results of the financial crisis and what they call quantitative easing. Interest rates are extremely low at the moment, historically speaking. So one of the factors in which they, um, on which they base the pension fund value is the interest rate. Because that is so low at the moment, that has meant that it underestimates the real likely value of the assets in the pension fund. Mm. So Nadina Mira, are you worried that, um, or, or in any way kind of concerned that sticking with the current pension scheme um, might lead to financial difficulties for your university? Is that, is that a real possibility? Universities have actually decreased their spending on staff costs over the last 10 years from about 58% of their spending to about 52% now. So universities are themselves trying actively to cut the amount they're spending on staff costs. Mm. Why is that? It's because of the nature of competition in the university market now, what they call the marketization of higher education, which means that they're spending money on things which they think make them competitive, i.e. branding, loads of advertising, marketing campaigns, shiny new buildings, uh, various bells and whistles to the student experience, which are not education related, in order to make them attractive. So increasingly, universities are turning themselves into a kind of product. Mm. Now, what that means is not only do they want to spend less on academic staff, they also want to make themselves attractive for lending. Um, so in the past, for example, for capital investment like new buildings and new uh, equipment and stuff, universities used to have a grant from the government. Now universities have to raise that money themselves. Now they try and raise it through saving some from the tuition fees and so on. The other thing that they're doing, though, is issuing massive bonds, i.e. they're going out into the financial markets and saying, give, give us loads of money and we'll pay you an interest rate. So Oxford University just did this, uh, and they issued bonds for something like £750 million, right? This is a huge debt. Now, in order to take themselves, to, in order to issue that debt and say, look, we're going to pay investors 2.5% a year or whatever it is, they said, they need to be attractive, which means that they need to try and get rid of liabilities from their balance sheet. Liabilities like our pension costs. So essentially mm. what they're saying is, we're not, we don't want to be responsible for you. We're going to go and borrow loads of money for new buildings. Um, but you guys, you're on your own. Like, and that's like fundamentally a shift in how universities understand themselves and their relationship to their staff and also to the financial market. What's the kind of response been from students to this? I know we mentioned earlier that some have been asking for compensation. Others are supportive, I'm sure. Like, how have you experienced that? Um, well, we've had a lot of support um, from students on the picket lines um, and, you know, social media has really helped to get that message across, um, seeing kind of students across the country joining their lecturers on the picket lines, kind of expressing their um, sympathy and support and kind of realising that um, this is part of a broader attack on higher education that we're all implicated in and, and, and that this um, that us going on strike is, a, is really about more than just our pensions, but about saying we've had enough of this neoliberalization of higher education and this commodification of, of higher education. And so we're really keen to kind of point 
that out, that, that, that part of our striking is about protecting higher education from further marketization. Um, I just wanted to say something about the, the students and how they've responded to the strike, because um, I've talked to quite a few on the picket line and I've talked to some more widely. Uh, there was a survey done at the beginning of the strike showing about two thirds of the students uh, supported the strike, but there's obviously actually quite a lot of students who are concerned about it and or who are upset about it and the impact it's having on their education. I've had a number of conversations with students. I would say actually um, a number of working class students and students of colour saying, look, I don't understand. I've worked so hard to get here. I've paid nine grand and I don't know, know why I'm losing this. Why are you telling me not to go in? I've paid to be here. And the thing I say to these students, and, I, and what I genuinely believe is that if we don't protect the working conditions within universities, it's going to only become a space in which you can work if you're rich, if you are financially of independent means, mm -hmm. if you don't have to rely on the job security and then the pensions in order to work in them. Because I know that I was able to realize my, let's say, ambitions because my parents worked public sector jobs. They came as immigrants to the country, but they worked public sector jobs and they had good pensions. And so they had the security to back me and send me to the unis that I wanted to go to and to study and to carry on and then to become an academic. That won't be available to my children or to the young people today if there aren't the conditions that they can survive and make their lives in. And so... You know, we do appreciate that the strike does have an impact on students and they're super stressed. I've never seen such a generation of stressed students. But that this particular struggle for the conditions in the university is one which actually disproportionately benefits students from working class and BME backgrounds who want who want to go into either higher education or wider public sector work. And we actually know that BME people in the UK are much more likely to be employed in the public sector and the conditions they face in the public sector are way better than in the private sector. Yeah, I think just to pick up on some of the um, points we've been discussing, I think like these are some of the reasons why this fight really should be everyone's fight um, and not just the fight of academic staff. Um, because, you know, there is a whole generation now that are not going to retire with the same level of financial security that our parents had. You know, this whole idea that risk should be pushed onto the individual, you know, you're basically left to, to sink or swim, depending on how much you're, you can afford to save and how your investments perform and whether the stock market happens to crash five years before you retire and et cetera, et cetera. In many ways, that kind of pension, like, isn't a pension um, you know, a pension is supposed to be something that gives you a secure income in retirement. That's the whole point of it. That's the whole point of having a pension system, right? A defined contribution pension is just an investment product. It's just a way to save for your retirement that is tax efficient because you get tax relief on it. It's not a pension. So what is at stake here, really, I think, is the whole principle of, if you like, social insurance, you know, that in the same way that we share the risk of getting sick um, through the NHS, in the same way that, in theory, we share the risk of kind of getting old and not being able to provide for ourselves anymore through the state pension, that to some extent, the private pension system, you know, the pensions that we get through our employment, should involve that element of kind of collective risk sharing, right? That it's more efficient and it's fairer to pool our risks and pool our resources um, to the extent possible, rather than to just every individual to be left to sink or swim 
Um, and that increasingly is what our pension system is. It's not the case in every other country. You know, there are, there are other countries that um, have systems that collectivise risk more, whether it's through kind of quasi-public um, pension institutions uh, like they have in countries like Norway um, or different kinds of risk-sharing models like they have in Holland. And like lots of people have been pointing at these models and saying maybe the UK has something to learn from this. Um, but at the moment, the UK system is kind of very, very inflexible and is really kind of pushing people towards these defined contribution pensions um, that, that will probably, you know, leave with us all retiring poor. Um, and so I think the fact that we've got, you know, this pension scheme at the universities that, that still offers a guaranteed pension that could be viable, um, I think protecting that and not allowing that to be destroyed is a really important fight for the rest of us if we want to have any hope at all of having the bigger fight that needs to be had, which is to say our pension system is broken. You know, we all have the right to a decent retirement and we need to do something about this. So all of that being said, um, what I'm really interested in is what do you think is going to happen next in the context of the strike? Some universities are already changing their mind and walking back. Is there hope? I would say there's definitely hope. I mean, we've seen some of the institutions who were seen as responsible for the more conservative valuation of the fund, reversing their positions after sustained engagement from their staff and their students. Um, we've seen big reversals, most significantly at Oxford, Cambridge and St. Andrews, uh, most recently this morning, uh, saying that they would back a revaluation of the scheme, that they would accept more risk and that they would be prepared to maybe consider um, increasing contributions to keep the fund sustainable whilst they look at other options. I mean, this is a huge reversal mm. from what they did in November, which is essentially say, you know what, we don't want any risk. And they, we understand that these employers, amongst others, pushed for just getting rid of all the risk. So it really shows that sustained strike action and publicity uh, can change people's minds. So on that level, I'm optimistic. Um, and uh, the union, I believe, has just announced that there could be another 14 days of action if we fail to um, if we fail to get an agreement in this round of talks, which I think is necessary to show how serious we are against it. Someone did some maths and said, "Look, it's actually worth my while to be on strike for eight years wow. because of the amount of money that I would otherwise lose. Because we lose a day's pay, obviously, for every day that we strike, and we're obviously finding it difficult to lose three weeks' pay." You know, that's a big chunk of your salary. Mm. Um, but yeah, what we stand to lose is so enormous that I think the determination is really definitely there amongst the lecturers. And I think we've learned things actually from the junior doctor strike, mm -hmm. not to go back until there's actually something concretely in the on the table. And we've seen in West Virginia that there's just been a massive victory uh, for teachers on strike over pay, um, and they didn't go back until they got what they needed. So... I mean, I think it's a promising place to be. Okay. I was just going to add to that to say um, I think that there have been other um, victories already that have come out of the strike in terms of the kind of questions that everybody is asking now about the governance structure of universities, UK, for example, in the sense that, you know, this is a private body that purports to represent employers who represent universities or public institutions where you can ask questions and there's a an element of transparency. Well, with Universities UK, there isn't. You can't even make FOI requests. Um, and so there's a petition, for example, going around now for people to sign, you know, insisting that they, 
you know, have some sort of public constitution, which means that FOI requests can be made. So I think one of the other really good things that has come out of this attack on our pensions is we're not only demanding fair pensions, but we're also asking questions about transparency, um, asking questions about how our universities are run. Um, we're, we're talking about expenses. We're talking about pay. We're talking about all kinds of other things that I hope will 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 increase the list of demands we make about you know ensuring that um, people in precarious positions also have a pension, that we have less precarity in higher education. Mm. You know, we're not going to just fight it on pensions. We're going to use this as a way to inform ourselves um, and to fight for a much fairer higher education system as a whole, not just in relation to pensions. Mm. Christine, take us home. This sounds like this is a bit of a wedge issue. So we've got like a little bit of space in the door. I just wondered if you had any final thoughts on uh, next steps after this after this strike. What can this mean for the broader context of pensions and beyond? Uh, I just really hope that these strikes are the start of a bigger movement to start asking questions about um, what's happening to our pensions and to start asking why we aren't being offered um, a decent retirement that can give us dignity in old age. You know, I really hope that this becomes a catalyst um, for a bigger, wider, longer-term movement um, to demand better pensions. Um, I think pensions is something that people often don't really have fun talking about it seems mm. quite um i've had fun it <laughs> <laughs> seems quite dull quite far away especially if you're relatively young um you know but at the end of the day like this is our old age this is our ability to live a dignified life in old age and our pension system is a hot mess right now it's completely mm. broken um very very few people have the promise of a dignified old age from their pension scheme anymore and we need to do something about that and you know in these kind of exciting times of economic orthodoxies being upended i think it's time to start kind of thinking bigger bolder thoughts about how we could fix our pension system and what kind of innovative models that progressive forces should be advocating um, to, to not just kind of lie down and accept that okay this is the reality now like defined benefits are a thing of the past and we're all going to retire poor like that's not good enough and we need to demand better together. Mm. Wonderful. Well I feel quite hopeful I feel riled up um, and yeah as you said I think that pensions might not be the most exciting thing to talk about but it's it's so much more than that it's about the kind of world that we that we want to live in. Um, thank you so much, Mira, Nadine and Christine, um, for joining me on International Women's Day to explain the strikes um, and what it means. And thank you to you, of course, lovely listener. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell everyone you know how much you like what we're doing, whether on social media or in actual real life, and figure out what you can do to support the strikes. Um, if you missed our episode with Gary Young last week as well, uh, tune in for that one. It's a really good one. The Weekly Economics Podcast is produced by Hugh Jordan and James Shield and brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. See you next week.